Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. It's our hope that this message will help you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's colder here than where I was. I was up in the um, Midwest. In fact, I was flying here just a little bit ago. We were up in, um, in, in Michigan. It was when we uh, left 50 degrees. And I come here and it's like, what? Are we going to Alaska? <laughs> this is the West. But um, I was supposed to arrive. Lenny and I were supposed to be um, uh, back yesterday at uh, about 1 o'clock in the morning. I mean, not in the morning, in the afternoon. I have been traveling all day. And um, our flight yesterday was delayed. And so they said, look, with all the traffic trying to get in and out, um, you'll miss your connection and... The only way you can get back home is to take a flight tomorrow, and it will get you in at about 6.30 in the evening. So I said, sign me up. We're on. So we actually landed at 6.30 and got here about 10 minutes to 7, so we were able to barely make the service, but by the hair of our chinny-chin-chin. So I asked, what was the reason for the delay? And they said, well, there's some fog in Minneapolis. And I got to thinking that the reason you'd have a delay if there's fog is very obvious. It impairs your vision, your ability to see where you're going. If you can't have vision, you don't get direction. And so I want to talk to you tonight a little bit about vision. I want to share with you a new vision and when I say that, I don't mean that I got an eye operation and I can see better than before. But in spiritual things, it's important that we have vision, that we see where we're going. We get the direction that we believe God has for us and see if we're on the same page so we can march together in that vision. The Bible says without a vision, the people perish. So I want to share with you sort of like a new vision. Well, really not a new vision. It's um, an old vision um, with a new look. Um, no, scrap both of those. It's actually a biblical vision with new excitement. And uh, I'm going to share something out of the book of Acts chapter 6 in just a minute, a few verses. But in Acts chapter 6, let me just paint the picture and set the scene. There's a problem that is in the early church in Jerusalem. Now, we would call it a good problem. And that is growth. There are more people coming. There are more needs more ministry is taking place, more people than they could have ever imagined are joining the church in the book of Acts. The temptation when a church grows is to sort of revel in its own success, A. B, to set up the machinery of organization and then just sort of put it on cruise and let it run. And so here's the opening verse of Acts chapter 6. It says, In those days... When the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. The problem is stated. The number of the disciples is growing. Now, that's a good thing, but it does present a problem. Just exactly how many people were 
at that first church in Jerusalem is impossible to ascertain. However, we can put a few pieces together and get a pretty good idea. We remember that in Acts chapter 2, when it was the day of Pentecost and a notable sign occurred, and then Peter preached the gospel, it says that 3,000 souls were added to them. It was 120 people in an upper room in northwest Jerusalem, and overnight it gained 3,000 new people. The very next chapter, there was a man who was lame from birth, set every day at the gate beautiful at the temple in Jerusalem. People walked by that man. They knew him. They saw him. Until one day, Peter and John were walking at the hour of worship and prayer, and the old man was there with his hand out, begging for alms, and those apostles looked down and said, Silver and gold have I none, but what I have I'll give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. And the man was instantly, miraculously healed. He got up and he walked. Peter preaches another sermon, and in Acts chapter 4, as the sermon continues, it says... 5,000 more were added to the church, and they were only counting the men, it says in that passage. It was their way of reckoning things 2,000 years ago. Go figure, but they would count about 5,000 men, not including women and children that may have been there. 5,000 men, 3,000 a couple days before. Now we're upwards of eight plus women plus children. Many scholars believe that the early church grew very quickly to be about 20,000 people. So imagine your little Bible study of 120 people, now 20,000 strong. It's huge. Can you sort of picture what it was like for Peter as he was giving his evangelism? And I don't know exactly how he did it, but if any of you would like to receive Christ out there, just raise your hand up. And then, like the whole city raised their hand up, and he went, wow, now what do we do? And it says they were added to the church. As the book of Acts goes on, and we see it here in in the first verse, they stopped counting. They stopped counting altogether. They just said, the number of the disciples was greatly multiplying, and in, in another place, and multitudes of men and women Believed. So they went from 120 to 3,120 to another 5,000 men, not counting women and children. And then Luke, who's writing Acts, just said, forget it. Too many to count. Multitudes, and they were multiplying all over Jerusalem. Well, that growth, that explosive growth, was the set up for all sorts of problems. Here's one. There could be the perceived lack of concern when you have a few leaders and a large group. The inability to minister to every single person when you have 20,000, that's quite a hurdle to try to get over. It's easier when you have 120. It's impossible when you have 20,000. When we first started our fellowship, I was able to do pretty much everything. I was able to teach the word, study to teach the word. I did all the counseling. I kept the accounts payable and all the ledger work. 
I was able to do hospital visitations. I was able to lead the worship. I was able to work around the building and keep a part-time job elsewhere in town. Then something happened. The number of the disciples multiplied. And it soon became a problem I couldn't handle. So there's a problem, and the problem is met with priorities. Spiritual problems call for spiritual solutions. And watch how the disciples now, the apostles in particular, the leaders, apply spiritual priorities to handle the spiritual problem. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It's not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word And the saying pleased the whole multitude. The disciples didn't turn a blind eye to this problem. They met the problem head on and they enacted spiritual priorities because they knew if they just let this problem go, it could fester. And it had the potential of destroying the work that God had wrought in Jerusalem. So what they do, they said, it's not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. What does that mean? Tables was an old word that meant the counter of the money changers. The counter of the money changers. And apparently, in the early church, they started a system because, well, people were losing their jobs because most of the industry in Jerusalem was built around the temple and because people were becoming believers in Yeshua, Jesus, as the Messiah, they were being fired from their jobs. So there was a condition of extreme poverty. So in the church, they had this distribution system where they would pool their resources together and help those who were down and out, had no money, had no food. And there was a daily distribution, especially for the widows, it says. Now, here's here's the problem in a nutshell. Two groups of people... One was a group of Hellenists, the Bible says, Greek-speaking, Greek-cultured, read the Greek version of the Bible. Those were the Hellenists. Against the Hebrews, these were Aramaic-speaking, reading the Hebrew scriptures, locals of Jerusalem, considered to be more pure than those who lived in non-Jewish territory. And the Greeks, the non-pure Folks, those who were from outside of Jerusalem, now saved and inside the church, felt that those Hebrew gals were getting special treatment. The apostles could have said, we'll fix it. We'll be there to distribute evenly and oversee the distribution of this every single day. But rather than that, they said, nope. We've got to keep our priorities. God hasn't called us to do the distribution daily in the food And in the money, God has called us to prayer and the ministry of the word. So here's the deal, church. We're going to find and you're going to agree upon 
people who can serve you all in the tables, and we're going to serve you all in prayer in the ministry of the word. And it says, the saying pleased the whole multitude. I was driving through town several years ago, and I was turning on a radio program, and something caught my attention. It was a talk show releasing the results of a study study from Stanford University on the expectations that churches had of their pastor, singular, their senior pastor. And they said, how much time should he spend in studying? How much time should he spend in visiting? How much time should he spend in a list of activities? And they discovered in this study, compiling the expectations, they expected their pastor to put in 135.5 hours every week, leaving him 4.5 hours per day for sleeping, eating, hanging out with his family, having fun in four and a half hours a day. Clearly, the message was these are unrealistic expectations. So what happens in the early church as the thing grows and grows and grows and there are few leaders to take care of the problem? Peter, James, John, the apostles realize contact, public contact, becomes less and less possible as this thing grows. So we need to reproduce ourselves. And we need to reproduce ourselves in people who can handle these other issues. The church is sort of like an iceberg, if you can picture that in your mind. An iceberg is about 10% on top of the water, 80 to 90% below the water. What you're seeing is only a small portion of the whole. I think church ministry is very similar to an iceberg. Uh, For the people that you see who are visible, there are so many more behind the scenes who are serving without that visibility. For every 10 people you see, there are 100 people behind the scenes with no visibility, no applause, no eyes see them, no ears hear about them who are behind the scenes doing ministry. One of the secrets of the success of the early church is they kept priorities, and number two, they kept God's priorities. And the priorities crystallized for the leadership of the church that would spill to the rest of the church was prayer and the word. Prayer and the word. We're going to devote ourselves for your sake to praying for you and studying the word to minister to you. Churches can sometimes leave the word of God and serve tables. I I can't tell you how many I have seen in my lifetime that started out and, and began to be known for the exposition of the Word of God. But somewhere along the line, they decided, well, we want to be a little more relevant. Not everybody's into Bible stuff. Let's be more user-friendly. And so they start saying, let's not preach the gospel message. Let's preach softer, feel-good messages. In fact, let's get people together and just give them a a celebration and a good time. We can sing some songs, we can play bingo, and they can go and be dismissed. (laughs) They can leave the Word of God and serve tables. Not just churches corporately, pastors individually. Many pastors who embark on studying the Bible to teach it realize it's hard work. 
you have to devote hours and hours every week to learning the languages, to learning background, to learning context, to learning history, and then to take that information and succinctly put it in a way that is applicable for everyone. And because it's difficult, many pastors on a personal level get sidetracked. It's so easy and tempting to do so, to get involved in projects and administrative details. So there's little time left to pray and minister in the word. That is not God's pattern. God's pattern is prayer and the word. Prayer and the word. The vision for the book of Acts, prayer and the word. The vision that Peter, James, and John had and passed on was prayer and the word. Later on, when Paul gets on the scene and writes a little letter to the Ephesian church, he says, God has raised up pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. If pastors, if ministry leaders neglect this calling, they doom their congregation to languish in spiritual poverty. Very, very important. I had a teacher, a professor in hermeneutics who said to the class one evening, Dr. Nat Van Cleve, he said, gentlemen, if you have a hundred people in your church and you preach for one hour to a hundred people, but what you say to them is not prepared speech, then you have just wasted 100 hours of God's time. I'll never forget that evening. I'll never forget that statement. It impacted my heart and settled deep. So, the vision we want to unveil before you tonight is new, but not really new. It's a biblical vision with a new excitement. And here it is. Ready? Prayer and the ministry of the word. First of all, let's talk about our Wednesday night Bible study. For years, we've called it line on line because we go line upon line, verse by verse. And we use the little at sign line online because you can go online and you can see it as well as being here in the flesh. And that was novel when we started it. We sort of want to rebrand and recreate Wednesday night. and We're going to call it expound. Everything remains the same. New name. With a little bit of a twist, we would love, if we could, to make Wednesday nights as participatory and as interactive as possible. We'd love to. You see, we're a family. We're a church family. We're a a community, a spiritual community. But here's the best definition. We are, first and foremost, a textual community. We all gather around the exposition of the text of Scripture, whether it's Sunday morning or it's Wednesday night. It's around the text of Scripture. Imagine if we were all reading through the same portion of Scripture together as a church every single day, every single week, so that we could even help you do your devotions. I'll explain. A few weeks ago, I held up a Bible handbook called Halley's Bible Handbook. The first page that you turn to when you open the front spine says, the most important page in this book is page 743. 
which as I mentioned then, was an odd thing for any book to say. It's like, what, nothing's important till I get to that page, so why'd you write it? But you turn to that page and it says, our recommendation is that every pastor and every church have a plan of reading through the text of Scripture together. In a synopsis form, he said, here's our simple suggestion that each church have a congregational plan of Bible reading and that the pastor's sermon be from the part of the Bible read the past week, thus connecting the pastor's preaching with the people's reading. Then he says this, and listen carefully. If this plan is followed, it will produce a revitalized church and bring about a grand revival. Don't you want that? I want a grand revival in the next decade. I really and truly do. So part of that is going to be expound Wednesday nights. Expanding your knowledge of God's truth by expounding to you God's word. That is expand. Now, there's several ways you can go about this. Number one, you can just come. I notice that some people come, they don't bring their Bibles, and, and they just observe. I want you to know it's okay. We won't chastise you if you just want to come and observe. If that's what you want to do, we'll make room for you. We never say, you didn't bring your Bible. Ooh. I've thought about it, but I've never done it. (laughs) Or, if you want, there are several layers you could go down of participation. And we could help you do that. Imagine, for example, if instead of saying, for next week, read these chapters during the week and we'll go through it together. What if... You were able to get an email on a daily basis or a tweet from Twitter or a Facebook message or a number of ways, if you desired, that would say something like, today, read this section. And the next day, today, pray about this thing. And then the next day, um, answer this question or these questions. So that by the time that we have done this together all week, by the next time we're gathered together, our pump is primed and ready to learn. And we have been literally reading the text of Scripture on our daily devotions throughout the week together. Now, what we're going to have is a few things on Wednesday nights. For those of you who like, I'm not into computers, not into phones, not into iPads, none of that stuff. I don't even like computers. Give me a piece of paper. We can do that. Not as easy, but we're going to do it. I also understand there are still cassette tapes and 8-tracks out there, and that's fine. (laughs) But we're going to accommodate people who want just sheets of paper to have that. We'll give it to you. But also, we're going to have a team of people in the foyer gathered together who are available to answer technical questions for you if you'd want to sign up for the daily reminders via email or Twitter or Facebook or whatever the newest technology is. Or if you have a computer or a phone or a tablet and you got it but you don't know how to use it, we'll teach you how to use it and implement that technology. So, again, if you want to just come and observe and just listen and go, you can. If you want to go deeper and you just want a sheet of paper, you can. If you want to go even deeper still, we can help you do that so that we're developing a textual community. That's expound. That'll be Wednesday nights, and we'll be opening up with the book of Exodus. We've already done Genesis. We'll be rolling out Exodus in a couple weeks. 
That's the word. Now let me talk about prayer. And if we call the first one expound, then we'll call the second one express. Now, some of you know this, some of you don't. We've had a prayer room around this joint for a long time. On some afternoons, when I can, I like to go in there and pray. I often find a couple of things when I do. Number one, either no one is ever there, or number two, the room has been taken over for another function and it's not a prayer room for that week or the next week or for the month. And then we've had attempts over the years to talk people into praying and giving pulpit announcements and having you sign up, trying to talk you into praying, etc., etc. But we believe... We want you to hear it from us tonight. We believe that part of the cornerstone of this church is that we march forward on our knees before God, that we pray together. When we first started a little Bible study, and people said, okay, now we have a Bible study, and it's growing, and there's 125 or 130 people. Now what do we do? What's the next step, Skip? I remember my answer. I said, I don't know. I've never done this before, but I do know that if we're doing this Bible study on Thursday night, that on Monday nights, a few of us can gather together and we'll pray and we'll ask God what the next step is. That's how this church started. We had a Bible study and then we prayed every week and asked God, what's the next step? I don't want to lose that. In fact, I want to reintroduce that. We have a prayer chapel. The prayer chapel we want to use as just that A room, a holy place set aside for the purpose of prayer alone. So see tonight, see this as our call to arms, our call to prayer and the word. This will be the year of expound and the year of express. Listen to just a few promises out of the word of God. Second Chronicles 714. Everybody knows that. God said, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin. I will heal their land. Jeremiah 33, verse 3, call unto me and I will answer you. And I will show you great and mighty things which you know not. Jesus said in Matthew 7, keep on asking And you will be given what you ask for. Keep on looking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And the door is open to everyone who knocks. What God values, we must value. What God's priorities are must be our priorities. And if God says, I've given you a model in the book of Acts, prayer and the ministry of the word. Then those ought to be our priorities. Can you just imagine if every pastor on this staff, if every church employee on this staff, if every ministry leader, paid, unpaid, volunteer, visible or not visible, and then that filtered into every congregant this year were on their knees praying, can you just imagine what God might do? It could be stellar. Also, I'm asking, as I already have, all of my staff members to be available to people who come in for prayer. If they need a group of people to gather around them for prayer, if they need 
hands laid on them, anointing with oil for the sick if they need or want communion to be taken. We're going to be available available for that purpose. Also, I'm asking ministry leaders, and there are well over a hundred ministries in our church that are ongoing, every ministry leader to commit sometime once a month to be devoted to prayer. Imagine if just a few members of every ministry in this church decided they're just going to go in the prayer room every month, just spend a little time together and pray. That alone would be monumental. And then when people say, you know, I want to get involved in this ministry or that ministry, great. It's going to be known up front. If you're going to get involved, part of your involvement is going to be spending time in prayer. Fourth, we're asking our School of Ministry students to not just pile up books and get lots of knowledge in their heads about theology and church history and language and all those great things that they came to SOM to learn, but we want to teach them to intercede for people to be prayer warriors. So part of their curriculum will be also spending time in the prayer room. Okay, so we have this prayer room that we've been working on. My wife got a terrific vision for it and um, decorated it, and we're going to unveil that to you tonight, and I hope you get excited. In the prayer chapel or in the prayer room, which is located where the old Solomon's porch used to be, the old bookstore, which is on that part of the church and the other side of the foyer, there's little sections One little setting of furniture in the prayer room, couch and some chairs, is devoted for taking communion. The elements are there. Instructions are there. You don't need to know anything. You just come in, read the instructions. few people, you take communion together if you so desire. In another section of the prayer chapel is a little setting devoted to the anointing of oil. We have anointing oil that is there. We have instructions for how to do that. If you're sick, you want prayer for that, that little section is for you. Another section is devoted to a desk with a computer on it. We have tons of prayer requests that come in every week. If you go in there and you decide to intercede for people during that time, you not only can read the stuff on the screen and who you're praying for, but maybe the Lord would give you a word of encouragement or a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom, and you'd want to share with that person. You'll have the ability to interact and leave a note of encouragement or a scripture verse for that person or those people. Also in the prayer chapel will be a phone in one little section. The phone you pick up and you call the front desk. Hi, I'm here alone. I'd like two or more. Not the band. (laughs) But the scripture where it says in Matthew 18, where two or three gather in my name, I will hear them for there I am in their midst. You're here alone and you want somebody to lay hands on you and pray for you or you want a few people. Our staff is going to be more available than ever before to meet those needs on an ongoing basis. In another section of the prayer chapel is a world map. All the countries of the world on either side are bookshelves with resources on prayer. Maybe you have time. You go, I've got an hour. You could just sit in that prayer room. You could go through the resources and you could study a little bit on prayer. You'd be encouraged by what you read. There's a couple great books called Operation World, the most comprehensive book I've ever seen on praying for people and countries around the world. Some of you have never traveled much. I'm giving you the opportunity through prayer to travel and see the world. You may never leave the United States of America or Albuquerque, but you could travel over to Africa. 
You could travel over to Indonesia. You could travel the world on your knees in prayer. And just imagine, better than sending email over there, you're going to be sending knee-mail over there. And have God affect the world as you pray for the world. Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. If you would like more information about what you've heard in this message or about Calvary of Albuquerque, please visit our website at www.calvaryabq.org. If you have made a decision to follow Christ or would like someone to pray for you, please leave a message with our prayer watch line at 505-344-3658. Thank you and God bless.